Mark chapter 10, verse 45, is the words of Jesus when he says, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want us to do some Christmas thinking regarding the purpose of Christ's coming based on this language of Jesus saying he came to give his life a ransom for many. So let's start with the question that I think I know the answer to, but has anyone ever paid a ransom? Maybe to a sibling or something, I don't know, that stuffed animal dangling from a bunk bed by a bathrobe belt strap or something, you know, and... uh, all right, how about, how about a little trivia then? Uh, famous ransom stories. 1932, New Jersey. What was that? Yes. Son of a famous pilot, Charlie Lindbergh Jr. $50,000, which in 1932 would have been a significant amount of money. Uh, that whole incident was a fiasco and everybody was caught. 1963, Lake Tahoe, son of a famous singer, Frank Sinatra Jr. was kidnapped, and they wanted a quarter of a million dollars, which was readily paid, and again, botched effort, and everybody was caught. 1974, Berkeley, California, granddaughter of the famous publisher, Patty Hearst, millions in food donations and all kinds of other dollars were demanded. And you probably know the rest of that story. I think she ended up married to a police officer. So after a manipulated life of crime, uh, was rescued, ransomed. And then 1976, anybody remember Chowchilla, California? You guys are like the crime experts. <laughs> Anything ever happens? <laughs> Anything ever happens, we're going to be like, well, the Du Bois know a lot about crime. <laughs> right. Wait a minute. You've lived in a lot of states around the country. Arizona, South Carolina, California, Missouri. Interesting. Yes, a school bus of 26 children uh, was hijacked. They were kidnapped. They were forced to climb through a tunnel into a buried box truck underground. Uh, A fascinating story. I think there was probably a movie about that many, many years ago. Uh, Those are some of the famous ransom stories. There's a lot of famous kidnappings, but not all of them included uh, a special focus on ransom. We've probably seen movies and TV shows, as the Du Bois mentioned, that that portray ransom stories. Um, That's somewhat helpful, and yet we do have to try to think, how does the Bible present this idea of Jesus giving his life as a ransom, um, and and how does that fit with what we think of from uh, history and from television regarding famous ransom stories? Let me start with just a little bit of Old Testament background from this word ransom. Um, 
In the Old Testament law, there would be a price that could be paid to buy back land that was held by someone else when you were in debt. So, I want to make sure I don't knock those trays over. Um, if, if you hit some hard times economically, you could basically sell your land and that would be held and then you could buy it back when times were better. And of course, in the year of Jubilee, uh, after those seven periods of seven years in that 49th slash 50th year, uh, all that land would be returned regardless of who owned it so that it would stay in the original tribal inheritance uh, that God had designed. Well, if land wasn't enough as payment of your debt, at times uh, a family or family member, a landowner, could sell himself, so to speak, into uh, debt, and he would work now for someone that owned not only his land, but also his ability to work. Uh, and so a lot of the Old Testament slavery, as it comes to us in the language, is, is more of a, like, indentured servitude. You, know, you signed up for this. Uh, you, you said, I'll work for you to pay off the debt. Well, once enough money was made by that one who was, had sold himself, he could buy back his freedom or his land. Uh, and that helps us understand a little bit about ransom, about redemption. Uh, remember that even redeem isn't first a word in hymns that speaks of our salvation. It's a word about how to economically uh, secure land or freedom uh, that had been indebted to someone. Now, in the context of life, there was even a sacrifice that was considered a ransom. It was almost like an annual tax uh, that was paid. Um, in the context of a murderer, uh, there was no ransom that could be paid for that crime, while other uh, criminal charges, uh, neglect, um, a failure to take care of your ox who tends to go after people and maybe killed someone. For things like that, you could pay a high price to offset uh, the punishment that you would have received. Uh, you could pay that ransom to escape the consequence of your action. Uh, but for a murderer, no ransom could be paid to escape death because that essentially would be putting a price on the life of that person, and that wasn't going to happen. And so it was clear in the Old Testament law that no ransom could be paid to escape death. It's also clear in the laws regarding the cities of refuge that if you flee to one of those cities, you cannot pay a ransom to get out of jail early, so to speak. Um, you remember when you went to one of those cities, you were protected, but you had to stay there until the death of the high priest. Um, and it was spelled out in the law that you couldn't pay a certain sum to buy your freedom earlier than that date, which would be in the Lord's hands, of course. So there's a lot of language in the Old Testament about redeeming, about ransoming. Um, when we get to that story of Ruth, you remember Boaz, and he was this family member in the family tree, a kinsman in the old English language. So that kinsmen could redeem land or person um, if, if that need arose. So the kinsman redeemer, that was a family member who could then pay that ransom or that redemption price. 
All those ideas are probably at least somewhat familiar to us, but it helps then as we move into the New Testament and we hear this dramatic statement of Jesus, he came to pay this ransom with his own life. The root of the New Testament words for ransom is a, is a famous Greek verb, and it's famous because every Greek student learns all the endings in the Greek language that signify all the different, you know, singular, plural, masculine, feminine, uh, all, the, all the different ideas in the Greek language start with a root, and then the ending, similar to Spanish, kind of tells you something else about how that verb is being used. And the, the, the verb you learn is luo, basically in English, L-U-O. And it means to loose. Uh, well, when you use that word with a certain, that's the root, and you expand that verb just a little bit, and it's the idea of ransom or redeem. It means to free something, to let it go. It's, it's loose. It's not bound, not held. So, In the English Bible, we have the word ransom or redeem in the New Testament. And this, the definition is basically the means or the instrument by which release or deliverance is made possible. The means or instrument by which release or deliverance is made possible. Now, obviously, most of the uses in the New Testament have to do then with sinners, captives, being set free from some kind of bond, some kind of captivity. So it's speaking of a spiritual ransom paid by Christ for the deliverance of men from bondage. Again, this kind of language fills our hymn singing. Uh, It's it's throughout scripture, uh, the kingdom language and being delivered, uh, being set free. All these ideas are familiar to us but I want us to bring them all into the purpose of Christ being born. I want us to see Christmas as the beginning of this plan unfolding, just like some of those famous ransom stories. Somebody gets a letter or a phone call, and it sets into action all kinds of events, Uh, massive involvement from law enforcement, local and state, and FBI Uh, uh, banks included because certain currencies and in some of these ransom notes they wanted this many dollars in $10 bills and this many in $20 bills and this many in 50s and uh, so all these events start falling into place in order to accomplish a ransom, a rescue, a freedom story and so it is with Christmas. We can read Luke 2, and it's that familiar Christmas story. But just remember, it's, it's setting a stage for Christ to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, if it were just a nativity story, it would be sweet. It would be hallmarkish in the sense of rich and poor and all celebrating this, you know, poverty-stricken woman and this odd scenario of a birth. But it would really be somewhat... of legend and, and, and nostalgia, but it wouldn't have any significance unless that babe had a specific purpose. And so that unfolds in scripture. So I want us to ask and answer this morning four ransom questions. All right. Question number one is a ransom from what? From what are we ransomed? Uh, how would you answer that question? 
I'll let you have a stab at answering all these questions, but the first one is a ransom from what? In our historical stories, it was from some kind of captor captivity, uh, crooks. But when the Bible talks about our ransom, when Jesus talks about giving his life a ransom, what is that ransom from? What do you think? All right, so I have three on the list only because that's the words I chose, but we'll, we'll make this as, as one of those. We're free from the curse of the law, from the judgment that is certain to come on sinners because of their rebellion. Uh, Jesus said in John 8, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Galatians 5, when the fullness, or Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. And that redeem is our same root as the, the ransom. So that's a pain of a price. He was born of a woman, born under the law. He had to keep the law in order to redeem those who were under the law. He had to enter into that, that binding of law-keeping in order to free those who were under that law. And by doing so, we received the adoption of sons, Galatians says. So, there is a freedom for us from the curse of the law, the consequence of our sin. No, I, yeah, I think that expands it uh, we, from the wrath of God. Um, we, we, we sing that when we, uh, in Christ alone, and sing of being free from that wrath of God. Uh, God is angry with sinners. Um, a lot of people like to say, well, God is love, and he hates the sin, but loves the sinner. And, the, and there's a sense to that, but the clearer word of scripture is that God is angry with sinners every day. Um, and so the wrath of God is on, it's hanging over sinners. And yet Christ became a curse for us, Galatians 3 says, like an umbrella that wrath falls on Christ instead of on the sinners when they come in faith under that protection that Christ offers so we're free from the curse of the law, from the consequence of sin. We're free from the wrath of God. Um, what else would the Bible articulate we're free from this ransom from what? Alan? Yeah. We're going to see this in the morning message as well. This, this rescue involves uh, being saved from futility, from uh, the foolish ways that we inherited from the corruption of our fathers, Peter says. 
Um, so not only are we saved from the curse of the law and from the consequence, the wrath of God, we would argue that this ransom involves being ransomed from sin itself, from the exercise of sin, from its power over us, that walks us down this path of wasted living, of, of pointless, purposeless life. Uh, we think of that woman at the well, marriage after marriage after marriage, being frustrated and just not satisfying. And Jesus addresses her empty, dissatisfied life with this specific illustration of the water that quenches thirst. That's showing us something about uh, the purpose of Christ's coming, the purpose of Christmas. And so we're right to think of a ransom being from the curse of sin, ultimately the judgment and wrath of God, but also the futility of life now. Romans 6, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So we are not slaves any longer to sin, to its futility. Uh, add to that the text Alan mentioned, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, those futile ways of sinful living. Uh, we like the end of that verse, and we'll get to that in a moment, uh, the precious blood of Christ. But remember, that's the answer to the futility of life. Uh, that's what we're bound to. And Christ says, I came to give my life a ransom, to ransom, to buy you back out of sin, out of sin's consequence. What else? We are ransomed from what? Paul? Yeah, I think, I think biblically we, we have grounds for saying that we are ransomed from the domain or the captivity or the empire of the devil himself. Not that he is um, the sum total of the nature of being bound because the devil is the agent by which we experience temptation and having succumbed to that temptation, we sin, and now we face the sentence of death and the judgment of God. But the language of the Bible tells us we're delivered from this domain of darkness, Colossians 1.3. Or 2 Timothy 2.26, uh, speaking of how our demeanor should be towards the unbelievers in, in a gentle yet truthful way. Uh, so that this would happen, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now, we'll see in all this language of ransom and captivity and such, we, we can't press these definitions too, too far and seek to apply what we think of bondage and captivity to everything the Bible is saying. Um, but 
we should at least understand the, the word pictures that are being given to us when we read, at the snare of the devil, he has taken captive people to do his will. Um, so stamp that phrase right on Genesis chapter 3, and it, and it makes sense. It doesn't seem to get out of hand to us then. That the devil had a snare, he tempted, and when they stepped into that snare, they became his captives. He's not giving too much credit to the devil like he, he plundered God's garden somehow. It's just, it's just describing the process. His snare, and once you're ensnared, you're captive by him to do his will. And that's what Romans 5 tells us, or Romans 6, that we were slaves to unrighteousness. But the language there is, is pretty significant. At the snare of the devil, we've been captured by him. 1 John 5, verse 19, we know that we are from God, but the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There's the enemy. You know, in in our ransom stories, names and faces showed up on wanted posters because they still did that back in the day. Um, Well, now we have a, a name and a face, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this created temporal sin cursed and groaning globe is the devil. He's not all-powerful, but he's more powerful than we like to think at times. So we're captured by the devil under the power of the evil one in that domain of darkness. And we add to that Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That's Christmas. Because his creation, humanity, was flesh and blood, he partook of that flesh and blood. Why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Again, that language captures for us the understanding of paying a ransom for someone held captive, someone bound in a place that they didn't really want to be. Um, So a ransom from what? Biblically, we could say from Satan and his power, his influence, his temptation and its consequence. A ransom from sin and a ransom from the curse and the wrath that falls on that sin. So there's a lot there. Yeah. So, I mean, in this instance, you know, I don't know if you can 
He does indeed. Yes, we are redeemed from iniquity, unrighteousness, the folly of sin. So we're ransomed from what? We've answered that at least in the beginning phase. A whole lot of scriptures that would describe uh, where we once were and where Christ has brought us. Second question, a ransom by what? We are ransomed, but by what? In our stories, it was generally lots of cash. Um, Money was paid to buy someone's freedom. What does the Bible tell us we are ransomed by? Uh, That's a a means, right? That's how we get there. Um, So going back to the Old Testament, 10th plague, in order to stay alive and ultimately depart, um, in a sense, a ransom had to be paid. You had to be covered in the blood. All right, what else? What other verses come to mind? Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Again, redemption is a word that we immediately categorize in this in church language. It's like not even in the dictionary of the world. It's almost exclusively church usage. We hear redemption, we think from sin, Jesus, his death on the cross, But remember, when you hear that familiar word and when you sing it in songs, redeemed, uh, redemption, remember, it's this it's this drama. It's it's Patty Hearst kidnapped out of her apartment. It's 26 children and a whole school bus hijacked and taking over national headlines in newspapers. And it's Charles Lindbergh, famous pilot son, disappears at night. Um, It's the kind of stuff that people followed intensely, wanting to know what was going to happen. So when we hear, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, there's just all these words that we're so familiar with, it just sounds like, yeah, that's kind of what happened to church people, and this is the life we live. Instead of thinking, wait a minute, there, there had to be a whole plan in place to redeem, to ransom, to buy back. And a cost was decided on uh, judiciously that would, that would work. It would satisfy the law's demands and the wrath of God and, and someone would indeed be set free. So all that is in play when we hear those familiar words, in him we have redemption through his blood. In Acts 20, Paul reminded the elders, we studied that a few weeks ago, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Hebrews 9, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, 
thus securing an eternal redemption. 1 Peter 1 was mentioned earlier. We were ransomed from our feudal ways, inherited from our forefathers, but not with perishable things as silver or gold, because that's always what redemption meant. How much do I have to pay? How much is the sacrifice? What is the amount? And silver and gold always defined redemption. But now we're borrowing on that idea for the spiritual reality, and so... We're ransomed from our feudal ways, not with those perishable things, but with this imperishable, thus precious, blood of Christ. Just like the Old Testament story of the lamb without blemish or spot. So Peter was borrowing on multiple ideas. The redemption financial package in the Old Testament and that sacrificial substitute lamb that was combed over at Passover to make sure it didn't have any blemish on it and could stand then as the picture of the perfect substitute, righteous, substituting for the family that was unrighteous. Revelation 1.5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, that firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So the second question is really easy to answer because it's all through the Old Testament sacrificial system and it's stated precisely again and again in the New Testament. We are ransomed, we are redeemed, not with silver and gold, but with the blood of Christ. Uh, so that one, you, you, you just can't miss. Uh, the first question, you know, what are we redeemed from? That one's kind of interesting because it's the domain of the devil. It's from the devil and his captivity, temptation, power. It's from sin in general and a life of servitude to sin. It's from the consequence of sin. It's, it's, it's kind of theologically pretty spread out. But when we ask the question, by what are we ransomed or redeemed? It narrows in really specific. One person fulfilling all of the Old Testament like a giant funnel down to Jesus and his blood, his death on the cross becomes the means of this ransom payment. Question number three, we are ransomed to what? To what? In our stories from history, Generally, it's ransomed back to their family. They are freed, redeemed, to go back to their loved ones. Um, except in the case of little Charlie Lindbergh, who died in the captivity process, the little infant that was kidnapped. Um, the others, the students on the bus, um, Patty Hearst, who else do we mention? Uh, Frank Sinatra Jr., they're all returned. The price was paid. They were released and they were returned to the normalcy of their life with their family, their freedom, the ability to go about and do whatever they want instead of, you know, being locked up somewhere. Um, so what are we ransomed to, biblically? Eternal life with Jesus Christ. Straight up. Eternal life with Jesus Christ, and exclamation point. And I think that's what the straight up or down means. All right, <laughs> that's all right. 
What else? How else would we define what we are ransomed to? Yeah, on a lot of these, it's like read those same passages. And so in the first case, you think of, well, if, if death and wrath and judgment is what awaits sinners, well, we're redeemed from that course and we're set on a different path towards everlasting life. We're still in this life, still on a path, but it's leading to a different place. Uh, or you, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous light. We're, we're in a different uh, domain now. What else? Relationship with the holy God. Jesus in John 8 said, you are of your father the devil and the lusts of your father you will do. It's, it, that's what you are. That's, that's the domain you're in. But having been transferred now, and that one text reminded us that uh, the redemption was paid so that we could receive the adoption of sons, now you're not the son of the devil, you're the son of God. And there's a different relationship there. What else? So there's this ransom to holiness, or back to Romans chapter 6. When we studied there, we saw that you were slaves to unrighteousness. Now you are slaves to righteousness. Second uh, Corinthians 5, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So we don't have the ransom redeem language, but we have the description. For their sake he died. He paid the price. Why? So that they would live no longer for themselves. That's that empty, futile living. But now they would live for him who died for them. Titus 2, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. There's always this movement. It's from that captivity, unrighteousness, unholiness, um, self-indulgence to righteousness, holiness, rather than self-indulgence, God-indulgence, or we would say God-glorifying. I'll live for him who died for me rather than live for myself. So this ransom idea has this movement to it. It has this transfer. Uh, you know, imagine then being one of those rescuers who are told where this box truck is buried in the ground, three feet below the surface, where they can rescue 26 kids. Imagine parents rushing to the scene and frantically watching as that's being unearthed and wondering if they're still alive and then celebrating that. Well, those kids then climbed out and raced to mom and dad and were trucked home and families all over would have celebrated the, the rescue, the redemption, the ransom of their child. Well, that's what's happening here. There's 
a ransom to something. It's not just from. We know where we came from, but it's the celebration of what I'm ransomed for. I have a purpose. I'm moving towards something. It's away from captivity, from darkness, from lawlessness, from the futile ways of the past to righteousness, holiness, living for the one who died for me. We are ransomed to something. We are a people of his own possession who should be zealous for good works. Well, that helps us even shape a little bit of our thinking of the, this last week or two of Christmas season to be mindful that, man, this isn't, this isn't all about just what we get or even just in the giving of, in the nicety, oh, we want our kids happy, so we give. But no, the true nature of being zealous to manifest this attitude and the lifestyle of Christ himself, zealous for good works. That's why we're here. We've been redeemed from lawlessness as his possession to be zealous for good works. So I think that echoes Ephesians 2. After being told we're saved by grace through faith, nothing of ourselves, it's a gift of God, we're told we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works. It's like this switch that is flipped at our conversion. Before faith in Christ, there's nothing of good works that amounts to anything. It's actually condemning because even our good works are done in self-righteousness. It's rebellion against God's plan to say, no, the only way to be righteous is faith in Christ. So all of our good is counted as filthy rags. It doesn't work. But as soon as we trust in Christ and receive his righteousness, we're now both equipped and commissioned to be all about good works. We're created as tools to actually work well. We are his workmanship designed for good works. And men should see those good works and glorify the God who so changed us that we don't live for self anymore, but we live for the one who died for us. So we are ransomed to something. The next time you sing or read of redeem or redemption, remember, it was from something, yes. But don't just remember the horrible kidnap scenario and being entrapped or kept, you know, locked up somewhere, remember the freedom and that direction of running home to freedom, to to life, to joy, which Jesus describes as a life of holiness. And there's one final question. We've, We've talked about being ransomed by what, to what, from what, and now I want us to ask this kind of tough question. We are ransomed So there was a ransom paid to whom? All right, because that's an obvious question that comes up when you talk ransom. Well, you got to pay this ransom to some mysterious unnamed bad guy, right? You know, I remember reading of the Frank Sinatra Jr. kidnapping case and, you know, the police were supposed to drop this bag between a couple buses somewhere, some really lousy plan and really fell apart pretty quick. Um, but, but it was paid to someone. You might not know who, you know. We're used to the TV and the movies and some crazy note, 
you know, with letters cut out and you don't know who it is. So what are we to think when we hear the language of Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many when there's an obvious question that we don't often answer and the question is to whom is the ransom paid? What do you think? In our stories, it's to the kidnapper. But we're trying to answer this biblically to a holy God. Anyone else? Surely somebody wants to say, like, we had to pay that ransom to the evil kidnapper, right? To the devil? Well, we do have to answer with kind of a measure of caution. If there's anywhere where we cannot press our ideas of paying a ransom too far, it's in answering this question. To whom was it paid? I think we're right to say in no way was a ransom paid to Satan. All right? Even though in in the unfolding of Satan taking people captive and him being the prince of the power of the air and this is his domain and Jesus came to defeat the work of the devil and taking us captive, it, it kind of sets up the story in our minds as, all right, we were kidnapped by Satan. Jesus came to pay a ransom, so we paid Satan, and now we're free. But that's not how the Bible unfolds the story. While it does use the language of paying a ransom, it stops the story there, and it never says it was paid to the devil. And there would be some problems with saying so. That would give some kind of indication that Satan has then the right. Uh, By his power and by his wit, he has now secured something valuable and is leveraging God with his prized uh, kidnapped possession. But Satan doesn't have any right or power over us. He's not the creator or owner. Uh, So he has no power to demand payment. The key in understanding ransom not being paid to Satan is that Satan is not the one who was offended by our sin. We offended the holiness of God. So Dave was right to say, in a sense, this this story of Jesus paying a ransom was really a payment to the holiness of the triune God, um, which in our minds kind of is odd, but, but that's okay. Uh, it's actually much better than having this equal foe, the devil, who who is possibly going to outwit God and keep some of these captives. But that's not how we view eternity. We don't view eternity as there are some in heaven that God was able to ransom. Uh, you know, the SWAT team broke in there and got a lot of them, but couldn't save them all. Um, that's not the. That's not how the story works. So we have to be very precise in answering this question and say the ransom is not paid to Satan. You won't find that in Scripture anywhere, though logically it would seem like that's the case. But here's the danger of using our logic, which is a developed and and built-up ability based on facts and knowledge and experience. Um, and, And the logic says, well, if he paid, gave his life a ransom, it was to the devil because the language of the Bible says that's where we were captive. But in the language of the Bible saying we were captive, we, we address that in Peter. That, that's simply a description of, of 
the kind of the context, the, the bondage. It's not a full description of the devil and how he outwitted God and forced God's hand on the matter. So we have to go with exactly what the Bible says when we start answering precise questions about theology. It may seem to us illogical that Jesus paid the ransom for our captivity. We were captive by the devil's will, but the ransom payment actually went to God. But what we're doing is actually driving back to the real core of captivity. Are we captive because the devil came and kidnapped us in our innocence? We were a victim of the devil. We were like little Charlie Lindbergh, just, I don't know what he was, a month or a couple months or a year old or something. And, and we had nothing to do with it and we were taken captive. But that's not what Peter meant when he said we're taken captive by his will. That's not what Genesis 3 tells us or Romans 5 that says we chose in Adam to sin and rebel against God. So really, it's, it's not as illogical as it seems. It's just we were using an illustration of ransom to describe our captivity, but the illustration of ransom isn't the best illustration of the fullness of our salvation from our condition because our condition was more self-imposed than every story of ransom that we can think of. So ransom is not paid to Satan. God was the one who was offended by our sin. We sinned against his command. We violated his holiness. We disregarded his rule and authority. So that begs this question. Okay, well then, was a ransom paid to God? Well, yes, in this sense, It was God's holiness that demanded perfect law-keeping, perfect righteousness. That's what God demands if you will live forever with him. Was a ransom paid to God? No, in the sense that it was not God who was holding us in some kind of bondage. But again, that's where... Everything we know about ransom and kidnapping is you were held in bondage by the bad person and the ransom was paid to them. But in dealing with sin, we have to remember we, we walked into that. We wandered far from God. All we like sheep have gone astray. So there's this guilt that we own. And yes, a ransom was paid to buy us back. And that works. We get that. But just remember that ransom was paid to God in the sense of where, where, was, where was the obligation? The obligation was to holiness. That's where we fell short. That's what had to be made up. And Christ made up that difference. That's the ransom. It's not a purchase price to the devil to get us back. It was the making up of our deficiency our sin failure, our rebellion, and he filled it up with his obedience. So to fulfill the law, to to complete righteousness, was that ransom payment so that we could be declared righteous and set free. David?
Yeah. I'd have to think through that some more, but there's some, there might be some helpful analogies there because even in their captivity in Babylon, there's this deficiency that is described as their violation of Sabbath years. And when that was filled up with, in their captivity, then they would be set free. So that had to be made up. So there's, there's an analogy there. There's the analogy that Cyrus, for example, who was held, holding them captive still, is called the servant of Jehovah. Uh, he's labeled as a Messiah, an anointed one, to accomplish God's purpose. Um, So to think of the captor as yet another pawn in God's plan reminds us that in our thinking of, was this ransom paid to the devil? No, because the devil's just a pawn. He's not not a power. He's not a threat to God. Um, So there are some Old Testament ideas there that I hadn't thought of that We'll add more to our simple study this morning. Uh, But just remember that Christmas uh, shouts freedom. Uh, Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many, or as Isaiah 61 says, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Can't imagine some of those kidnapped stories, thinking of the parents that received those children back having heard they're buried underground in a box, wondering if they suffocated or if they're alive. So when the announcement would come, they're, they're, they're free, they're alive. That's good news. No wonder Isaiah would say, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring the good news that Jesus proclaims liberty to the captives. So at Christmas, we celebrate our freedom. We were ransomed. But if we really get a hold of that, then our feet are swift and beautiful to let people know that Jesus came to set captives free. And so we're, we're really just continuing on in our study of Acts, even though it's Acts with a Christmas decoration attached to it. It's the same message. Those who are free love telling the story of how that happened. So Heavenly Father, thank you for the season of Christmas that reminds us that this promise was being kept, that a deliverer was on his way, uh, that our freedom, our salvation uh, was unfolding in that beautiful drama beginning at Bethlehem. So thank you for the season. Uh, Take our minds to deep and devotional thoughts of your work on our behalf, lest the season pass us by uh, and, and leave us only the tedious process of packing up Christmas decorations. Uh, We want more than that. We want a fresh reminder that would lead us to gratefulness and to spreading the good news faithfully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.